All right, welcome, Erica. I'm so excited to have you from sunny Hawaii. I'm very jealous right now as winter sets in <laughs> in Maryland. If you would like to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about why you joined the military, what branch you did, and what you're doing now, and then we'll dive in. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm pretty excited. Um, as she said, I'm Erica Limkel. I live on Oahu Island in Hawaii. It's The whole island is Honolulu County. Sometimes people don't really know which island it is, but it's the one with Waikiki, uh, most of the military bases, and most of the population. So they actually call it the Gathering Place. That's our nickname of our island. I am originally from Louisville, Kentucky. I left for the Army when I was 17 years old and was in the military for 23 years. Um, I joined the Army because I jokingly tell people I joined the Army so I could shoot back at people that were shooting at me. Uh, if you've ever been to Louisville, that joke is probably very funny to you, or if you have grew up there, you understand what I'm talking about. But I actually uh, joined the Army because I was rebelling against my parents. Um, <laughs> I, I needed discipline, and I thought that, you know, I'm just going to join the Army and just be my own adult and do whatever I – not do whatever I want to do. But, yeah, it was basically to get away uh, from Louisville. They say that you join the military because you're running to something or running from something, and I was definitely running from something. I really didn't feel like I had much future there. That's awesome. And uh, what job did you, you enlisted in the army, correct? So what job did you get there? Yes. Yeah. So that's actually a funny story as well. Um, so I graduated high school June 8th of 1994. Yeah, I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, June 28th, I was mad at my parents. They had taken away my car because one of my friends opened the door into somebody else's car and I was backing up. I didn't know it. The door slammed on her arm. She went to the hospital. It was like $600 in uh, medical bills that we couldn't afford. So <clears throat> my parents took away my car. I was very mad about that. So I was like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to find a way out. Well, I had taken the ASVAB and I got back then a 120 was like one of the highest GTs you could get. So anything over 110, you could do anything you wanted. So I went to the Army recruiter and I was like, okay. I want to enlist. I want to get out of here. And they said, that's fine. What job do you want? And I said, well, I want to be a tank mechanic. I don't know why this was in my head, but this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you're too smart to be a tank mechanic. And I said, well, I'm also smart enough to know that you have to let me do what I want to do or I don't have to join. And they were like, okay, fine. You'll leave in October for basic. I was like, uh, no, this is June. I want to leave now. And so I went to lunch at MEPS, <clears throat> came back and they said, well, if you want to leave, in August, that's the next basic training that's leaving. You can be a cook or communications. I said, well, I am not cooking anybody's food. Not to diss on the cooks, but that was not my <laughs> jam. So I became communications. And I was a radio multi-channel systems operator maintainer, which is basically like radio line of sight stuff. And that's what mm -hmm. my original MOS was. It changed and morphed throughout the years as computers became more popular. But that's what I did. That's very cool. I think that was my brother's MOS. Um, I have two brothers that joined the army. One was a combat medic and then the other, I believe that was his MOS. We just, he told us signal Corps, and we stuck with that because we couldn't remember his like yeah. full MOS title. Cause it was really long and I was in like high school when he joined, but that's pretty cool. Small world. Cause my last interview was, um, army signal Corps as well. Oh, um, what was their name? Renee. If you can say, okay. Okay. Don't know him, but Signal is a very small world. Um, so. um, she got out of the Navy. I'm sorry. No, maybe that wasn't her. It must have been two recordings ago. I have all my notes on here. Um, yeah. I don't no, remember no who it was. They all ran together. But <laughs> um, Okay. And then you said that 
Did you commission as an officer during your time in the army? No, I was a troublemaker. I stayed enlisted. <laughs> okay. No, I, I thought about it. Um, yeah, I thought about it uh, because like the pay is so much better and it seemed like not less work, but just a different type of work. I mean, manual labor was yeah what the being enlisted was about for the most part. And signal corps is heavy lifting. I mean, this is like, I'm not all show, no go. So <laughs> it won't go away. <laughs> I joined the army and got tough and now I just have muscles all the time. But uh, I mean, it's good. People are like, oh, it's a good you problem. You have? Somebody asked me at a swimming pool. Yeah. Somebody asked me at a swimming pool if I was an off-season bodybuilder. I was like, no, but thank you so much. That is so, the best compliment yeah, you could um, ever get. <laughs> I know. I was like, holy cow. And like, you know, I do try to watch what I eat and not, you know, and work out and stuff, but by no means do I apply that kind of time and effort. So that was really nice. But uh, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, officer. Commission. I okay. That, yeah, I officer, do that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I go off. It's okay. I'll sometimes. keep you on track. No. So uh, <laughs> thank you. I did think about going uh, officer about 10 year mark. Um, this is right when Iraq was kicking off. Um, I was in, I was at Fort Bragg, um, and it wasn't, you know, had nothing to do with Iraq, but that was just something I was thinking about doing. Um, I think it was on my first deployment, actually. My first Iraq deployment was in 2005, and during that deployment, I was thinking about going flight warrant. I was thinking about a lot of things, but I really experienced leadership on, in the front, if you will, um, being downrange, and I, I was really good at what I did and I loved organization and I was very physically strong and very mentally strong. And so for me, leading the soldiers was like so important and being down there with them on their level and leading from the front. You know, I'm, I'm Audie Murphy, so I love me some some Audie Murphy stuff, but lead from the front is the Audie <laughs> Murphy motto. And so my motto was, you know, lead from the front, you know, and so I was always follow me. Let's go. Let's do this together. And I love being enlisted so much. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't give it yeah. up. So no, I understand. And it sounds like you were the perfect like person to be in that senior enlisted leadership too. That's awesome. I hope so. I tried. So you were active duty during nine eleven. Do you want do you remember that day or do you want to talk about um what that day was like for you? Oh yeah, I remember it vividly. Um I was at Fort Bragg. So, you know, center of the universe, I was a paratrooper, all that great stuff. Um that morning I was actually on the way to the airport to pick up my then boyfriend. Um aren't together anymore. Obviously it's long ass, long time ago, excuse me. But, um, yeah, I was on the way to the airport and I was listening to the radio and I was like, is this a joke? Is this some kind of war of the worlds type thing? Cause it was so mm -hmm. surreal. Uh, but then all of a sudden everybody from the unit started calling. And so at Fort Bragg, most people that's in Fayetteville, North Carolina, most people have to drive, have to fly to Raleigh because it's just cheaper. So I was on the way to Raleigh an hour away to pick up my, my boyfriend at the time. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm picturing the worst stuff. I'm like, they're going to meet me at the thing and say his was one of the planes that crashed. There's Because he was coming from Alaska. And I was mm -hmm. I was really super scared. Um, but I got there and, and I picked him up. He was one of the last flights on 9-11, which was crazy. Um, and then the base was locked down. And we knew, at, if you're at Fort Bragg, you know when some stuff kicks off that you better get ready. And we yeah. had trained for it. It wasn't my first combat deployment. Um I joined the army at 17, 18, moved to Germany. And when I turned two months after my 19th birthday, I was on deployment to Bosnia um, with uh, peace implementation forces. So it's definitely, anybody who was in Bosnia can tell you it was definitely not a picnic. And in some ways, I, I actually think it was worse than Iraq, my personal experience. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm also support. So I'm not out there kicking down doors or anything. But um, yeah, so yeah. that was what 9-11 meant to me is here we go. Get ready. Yeah. No, that's 
That's crazy. I couldn't imagine being um, just active duty when that happened. And I know I've always tried to ask people when I know that they serve during that time because it's just really um, interesting. I don't interesting just doesn't do like the situation justice, but I do really like learning about yeah. what people's experiences were like. And, um, you know, I was Navy. So just hearing about people on the ship and, um, it's just crazy how the whole world just flipped a switch. Um, and especially the country and the military, they had a lot to do in literal hours. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any like, challenges that you faced or specific experiences from being a woman, um, especially in the army in the nineties and two thousands like that it was a different time then. So what was your experience like as a female? So I actually kind of miss the old army. I know that might sound weird, but I mean, obviously people shouldn't be getting sexually assaulted and raped and harassed. And so some of the movements that we've had with EO and, and sharp and everything are phenomenal and very needed. Resiliency training was very needed, um, but I, I liked the old army. I loved it. I loved that, you know, you could haze each other and tape each other upside down to a tree and just, you know, it, it was, you were part of the team. Like I remember getting blood ranked, you know, and if you didn't get blood ranked, it meant that the team chief thought you were a piece of crap. Like, you know, the hazing was part of being a part of the team. Um, mm -hmm. So I do miss that. I think if you don't have a little bit of light hazing and, because you're going through things together, psychologically speaking, I love to read, if you didn't notice, um, yeah. <laughs> going through, through things together, it forms bonds. And so that's why people from basic training and people in the army have these tight bonds, because you can't formulate that outside of going through hard things together. And so we had tight mm -hmm. teams, because I came in in 94, there was not really any war. I mean, Desert Storm was very small and very contained. Um, it was a war, don't get me wrong. Uh, my cousin went. And uh, so he told me about it here and there, but it was, it was different. It was very short um, and not many people went. Then we had Somalia, which once again, very, very small uh, mm -hmm. amount of people that were involved in that. And then um, when, when Bosnia came, it was just very different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, those bonds, um, they just, they bring you together. And so I do miss that. Um, I think that as a female though, um, when I first came in the army, I couldn't run very well. I could barely run a lap without walking because I played sports in high school, but I didn't know how to like run for distance. I could sprint, but then I would run and I'd just be exhausted. And I was like, how do these people keep running? Mm -hmm. You know, and I wasn't overweight or anything. I just couldn't run. And so finally um, I went to Germany and they were like, you just don't stop when you're tired. You just run slower. I'm like, okay. Cause that was my first duty station. So I went from basic training, running like 21 minutes. They turned off the clock. I was so slow type deal. I barely made it out of basic. I was such a slow runner. Then in Germany, I went in Bosnia and I, my run increased to about 1645, which to me was like, hallelujah, this is great. Well, then fast forward to Hawaii, which was my second duty station. And at this time I was 20 years old and had been in the army for about three and a half years, three years, three, and a, three years, something like that. And they, it's very physically demanding here. Um, for the units. I was in 25th Infantry Division um, down in the Signal Battalion because that's how they, they didn't have brigade combat teams back then. So I was in the, the Signal Battalion that supported the division. And when you do division runs or you do anything, you are running. If it's okay mm -hmm. to say balls to the wall, that's what it was all day yeah. long, every day. <laughs> you ran all the time. So my run time within six months of getting to Hawaii went from 1645 to 14 minutes flat. And I stayed between 14 and 1415 my entire career. <laughs> Wow. Is that Just for two miles? You get where you can run. Yeah. Yeah. It's two miles. So 
once you get where you can run, then you just maintain it and you're good. But um, I think because when I would show up to a unit, what, by the time I got to my second or third unit, I started to get it, you know, how to behave and stuff like that. Because if you're a female and you hang around males too much, you're sleeping with them, period. It doesn't matter if you're never seen outside of uniform with them. So that was distressing to me. I didn't like that. I didn't like that I couldn't have male friends unless they were ostentatiously gay and flamboyantly gay. And back then it was don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. So people knew, but they didn't want to know type deal. Um, but the mm-hmm. only people that I could really hang around with that were of the opposite gender were extremely gay. Um, and I love them to death. Those, this, my, my peeps, you know, I don't care who you sleep with. Just if you're my friend, you're my friend. But yeah. um, that was the only people I could hang out with other than females. And sometimes they would say that the females were sleeping together. So that sucked. I didn't like yeah. that. You can't catch a break. Uh, but when it came to, yeah, when it came to uh, being a female, showing up to a unit, I deployed early in my career when most people hadn't. So I had the old veterans call it fruit salad. So I had all kind of fruit salad on my uniform. Um, and then I could run like the wind. So the first day of PT, when they realized I was really fast, they were like, oh, maybe she's not just some pretty dumb Southern slut. Forgive my, you know, language there. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's how people saw me until I proved to them that I wasn't. So that, w- that was the hard part of, oh, I think probably still is the hard part of being a female in the military. Uh, you have to watch what you do all the time. Mm-hmm. And even... Even as a first sergeant, I found out after I retired that there were still some people in my unit or other units, whatever, the battalion, that had rumors of me sleeping with an E5 from another company who was actually kind of a friend of the family, but I thought was repulsive as far as his behavior as a soldier because he wasn't a good soldier. And so I was just like, ew, if I was going to sleep with somebody, they'd at least be squared away. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think that was the, in the realm of things that are horrible in the military, being accused of sleeping with people you didn't as I guess the worst thing I experienced. And so that's not too bad. And occasionally yeah. having to threaten to punch somebody in the face and tell their commander if they didn't get their hand off my butt. But that's about it. And, and that happened in an yeah. off post no, job. I, think I had a second job as an E4. That's, uh, yeah, it's infuriating, but it's also good to see women that were in the military that aren't afraid to like put people in their place when they aren't acting right too. Cause so many, I, I witnessed so many women that I served with that just were scared to like, yell at people or like if you if you I was a very calm I am a very calm person and I was always like shy and polite and respectful to people but the second you did something that was disrespectful to me I'm not going to stand up or I'm not going to stand for it I'm going to stand up to you and it doesn't matter and I never was was like touched my first year what'd you say I was very scared my first year or two my first year or two in the military I was very scared to stand up and tell people no and you know, I was so young. I mean, I was 17, just turned 18, moved overseas, didn't know anybody. It was, it was a lot. And I mean, the drill sergeant tried to hook me up in AIT, tried to hook me up with a supply sergeant. I had no interest in this dude. They got me out of bed in the middle of the night and I was in the day room scared to look at the TV because we weren't allowed to watch the TV. I mean, I just kind of ignored the dude sat on the other end of the couch and was like, and couldn't wait to go back to bed. And I think they understood it. Um, but I know that that is a mild experience compared to what happens to some females in basic and AIT. So I really hope that that, that has been squashed largely because it's mm-hmm. just not okay. You're so vulnerable when you're yeah. a trainee. It's just, you have to be above board if you're a drill sergeant. Like you just can't, you can't, die, mm-hmm. you can't do that stuff. Oh, absolutely. That's, um, I never really heard any horror stories from boot camp for me or even like training. But um, once you get like on a ship where everything is confined and the second that, the ship goes out to sea, the wedding rings come off and people quickly learned I was 18 or I was 19 when I deployed and 
these men quickly learned yeah. that if you would come to me and I knew you were married, I was finding out who your wife was and I was messaging them. I didn't care where we were in the world. And um, <laughs> I just did not, I did not stand for it. And some people would say it's like not your place, but um, I have been on the receiving end of a person cheating on me and I would want to know. And that's always the mm. um, mindset that I took with it. And then people just stopped talking to me and they were like, that girl is crazy. And I was like, good. You can think I'm crazy. At least you're leaving me alone. Yeah. Crazy is what they call people that they don't know how to deal with and control. I think sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, what about like as senior leadership? Um, did you have problems? Uh, I've a common phrase I've heard a lot of women that were higher ranking, um, say like getting a seat at the table or even being listened to while they're at the table. Did you experience similar situation? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. So I distinctly remember, a I was a first sergeant for almost three years um, at a signal battalion here in Hawaii. And I remember sitting at the table and we had previously had, um, I was the only senior enlisted female in the battalion. Uh, at that time. Well, actually, I think the majority of the time I was in that battalion, I was the only senior enlisted female. Every now and then we'd have a female commander. So they wouldn't give them to me because they would spread us out. So I, I always had a male commander. Uh, we had a male battalion commander, lieutenant colonel, and a male sergeant major. Well, they switched out. And we got a female battalion commander and still had a male uh, sergeant major. Um, I remember sitting at the table and saying things, and the other three first sergeants were males, and I remember sitting at the table saying things, and I felt like she was harder on me and the things that I would say, and I'm like, so, cause I was very upfront. I was very brash. I was the most senior of the three first sergeants. Uh, I think this is after we changed over. Cause in the beginning I was junior. Um, and then all three of the, all three of the other first sergeants changed out and I stayed in the seat. Cause I was a first sergeant from the time I hit ground here. Cause I was already an E8. And then, uh, when the next three first sergeants came on, they were more junior. I think, uh, we had been in, in service about the same amount of time, but I'd been in the seat longer and I am not afraid to rock the boat because I think sometimes mm -hmm. if people fall out, they need to. But I remember sitting at the table producing an idea that was somewhat unorthodox. And they, she looked at me and was like, she didn't really like her. She didn't like the way I said it or something. And I was like, okay, ma'am, imagine that what I just said came out of First Arm Fleming's mouth. Just really visualize that. How do you take it when it comes from him? Is it seen as, you know, innovative? Is it seen as, I don't want to say forceful. Is it seen as too aggressive? Is it seen as, you know, bitchy? What, how do you see it if it comes from a male's mouth and not mine? And really, I think that people have to think about it like that. And even us as females, we can be guilty of this. Mm -hmm. We have to really look and say, is it because it's coming from a female and I'm not used to females having this type of opinion or behavior? Is that why I think that their idea is too much or too aggressive or too bitchy or catty or whatever adjective you want to describe it as, you know, so it, yeah, it's hard sometimes. But, no, that's interesting right, that that was coming from a senior leader, too, or a female senior leader. Yeah. Well, when I was a first sergeant, it was very different. So my commander, um, the first commander, he and I were very well balanced. Uh, the next commander, he was very, like, tactical. Let's go blow stuff up. Let's dig a hole. Let's whatever. And I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I was, I'm very strong in the administrative world. So even though I was enlisted and I did the, the tough stuff and everything, um, and doled out, you know, encouraged him to dole out a lot of the punishment and awards and things like that. Um, I did more of the admin. Like I would just give him things and be like, sir, look at this, sign this. This is what you need to do, blah, blah. And then he wasn't really that good at interacting with the battalion commander. Cause it was like, 
I kind of did more of the officer stuff and he kind of did more of the enlisted stuff to a certain extent. Um, he loved mm -hmm. training. That was his jam. And I was like, it was my second 18 months as a first sergeant. So I let him run with it. So I would go directly to the battalion commander because our battalion sergeant major was, um, the nicest way I can say it is he was ineffective. Um, and so as the senior first sergeant with a good relationship with the brigade sergeant major, because we went back to brag several units, I used to kind of go around him, which also got me in trouble. Um, and the battalion commander wanted officers to be officers and enlisted to be enlisted. And I'm like, ma'am, I am here on behalf of the battalion. I don't care what's on my chest. Let's just work this problem out. And she was not super receptive to that because she was very much like the chain of commands here for a reason. Um, so that might mm -hmm. be a part of the issues as well. But sometimes you need that person that's not afraid to, like you said, rock the boat and at least get her to mm -hmm. see that you're rocking it. She doesn't have to agree with it, but at least just you know, at least you tried, I guess. Yeah. And everything was always for the benefit of the company and the battalion always. Um, that's yeah. I just, I found myself, um, you said first sergeant is an E8, right? In the army. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm not the most familiar with, uh, army rank structure, mostly just Navy and Marines. Um, but okay. I definitely found myself questioning when ideas would come from females too. Um, while I was in leadership in the Navy. And it's just, um, I would have to check myself and try to find this balance between like trying to give females this platform to speak up and be heard and have their seat at the table, but also make sure that the female that was up here earned that seat too, and not be, not pick favorites. Um, it's a hard balance in trying to get the other, I was the only female um, in leadership mm, yeah. in, in my work center. And so trying to get the men to like see the women as equals, but not favor them either. It's a hard balance and yes, kudos to people that are able to um, kind of turn off the hu the human instinct side and just see people as sailors, soldiers, Marines, and that's it. Cause it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So now you are a real estate broker. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. How did you get into that? So you retired and then just knew you wanted to do that or what was that transition like at all? Um, so I guess, I don't know. I kind of, I'm not, I, I don't think anyone who knows me would ever put easygoing in my description. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not the most easygoing. I was going to say, Oh, I just go with the flow. I, I kind of, sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. So I think opportunities just come along. And if you, I don't, people call us the lucky limkles, me and my husband. And I think that luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. So I always stay prepared. I mm -hmm. always have a plan, but if an opportunity pops up, then, Hey, let's ride that boat and see where it goes. So I was getting out of the military. I was retiring, um, here in Hawaii. And I, my plan was just to, uh, become a GS employee. I was like, I'm just going to be a GS. Um, I'm going to go work at USERPAC, U.S. Army Pacific Headquarters and the G6 section. I set myself up for that. Like everything I did getting out of the military was so I could have that GS 12 job, which is a pretty good job when you, I have an associate's degree, so I don't really have a college education per se. Um, and coming out as enlisted, um, I had a lot of good experience, but I wasn't, I wouldn't have been their first choice for the job uh, based on paperwork. Mm -hmm. So I got them to let me go to that job for the last six months I was in the army. Uh, so I had experience as a master sergeant. Then I got out, did my six months out. Well, before I got out, my husband, who he has, he's a licensed general contractor. 
And he's not really building homes or doing any of that right now, but at the time he was. So he suggested that I get my real estate license so that I could buy and sell homes for the developers he was building for. So I'm like, okay, why not, right? You know, it's good to have like a second or third plan. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Um, let me go get my real estate license. I looked into it, um, not to be conceited, but I'm really smart. So like taking the test and doing learning things wasn't, wasn't really difficult for me. Um, so it was great. Uh, I went to school, I passed the test on the first time, and then I shopped around for a brokerage. Um, I wanted a brokerage where I could do property management uh, because a lot of people who had been in the business, this is in 2017, a lot of people who were in the business during 2008 were like, oh, just wait. Oh, you kids. Oh, you kids. You know, like everybody does in every industry. You kids mm -hmm. just wait. It's easy now. It'll be rough later. And I was like, okay, well, if it's what, what made you last, what made you successful? And they said that property management is what saw them through the lean times. I said, okay, uh, let's do it. You know, so I uh, already knew that I wanted to do something with property management in case the GS gig didn't work out, which it ended up not working out. So that was great. But um, I signed with a really small brokerage, a mom and pop. So not like one of the large ones. Um, we didn't have a large training program. I got most of my training on the job and from asking other people questions constantly and just doing continuing education. So I got my license uh, about six months before I retired. And by the time I was on terminal leave, I already had two deals that sold before I got out and one the month after I got out. So it, and in Hawaii, if you're doing one a month, you can be very successful in real estate. If you're doing one every other month, you can live off of that. It's it mm -hmm. you live. It's very good um, commissions out here because the the house the housing median house price is 1.1 million. Uh, median yeah. condo median condo is about 550. So if you sell one a month, you're doing well. And so I was selling a couple before I got out. So I was really excited. Um, yeah. So that's how I ended up picking real estate. It was just kind that of a is... fluke. And then I started. I actually. I realized I loved it. It was so fun and I was so suited for it. And I had no idea. That is awesome. Um, so you were learning to be a real estate agent during the 08 market crash? No, no. I asked other agents who were in it during 08. During okay. 08, I was a single staff sergeant. Um, no, I'm sorry. I had, Jason and I got married in 2006. So I bought my house. My first house was a VA foreclosure that I bought when I was, I had just gotten divorced from my first husband, had a two-year-old and bought a VA foreclosure in Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, I lived in that, met my husband that I'm currently married to in 2005. We got married in 2006. And um, uh, let's see. Yeah. So we, and then we got, bought a new house in 2008, but thankfully it was one that needed work. So we had forced appreciation. So we weren't really upside down when we bought it, even though the market crashed, we held it and actually just sold it last this past year in July. Oh, that's awesome. I, I got my license in 2017 and also retired from the army in 2017. Okay. I thought you said you retired in 07 and I was like, that is a horrible time to get into real estate. Oh my God. No, that's good. No, you are absolutely correct. No, 2017 was a pretty good time to get in. Um, but I did listen to the agents that had come before me who had a lot of good advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in Hawaii, that's crazy. My best friend just moved back to Hawaii um, to be with her family because her and her husband have a baby now. And they um, are struggling to find a house and especially one that they can afford. Um, so that's yeah. 
one right now the average is 1 million or that was the average back in 20 no in 2017 it was far lower um we bought yeah. a brand new build in 2014 in, in on north shore for six hundred and fifty three thousand dollars, and it was wow. 2,000 square feet which is unheard of here um yeah it was just it was a i don't want to say luck luck and opportunity you know opportunity and preparation met mm -hmm. and we bought that house uh in 2017 it was probably around 850 I'd have to look back, but maybe 750, something like that, 750 maybe. But it's mm -hmm. gone up exponentially. I mean, real estate across the country has gone up exponentially. Um, and yeah. then when you compare how much money people make, the median income of a family and the median home price, it's like it used to be, I think, 344% of your income was usually what a house would cost. Now it's like 544%. It's, it's increased drastically. So. People have to be very careful what they buy and make sure they're getting into the right opportunity. And it is, it's extremely mm -hmm. difficult in a market like this. So yeah, not impossible, it's, it's, but you mm -hmm. have to know what you're getting into. Yeah. It's very discouraging trying to buy a house right now, let alone in Hawaii. So I think they just need to find the right person to help them too. I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually my referral tab on my website is I know a guy. But no, um, you know, I, we could obviously talk offline, but I'm happy to, you know, tell them the real deal. And that's mm -hmm. what I do. Buying isn't the right, the right option for everybody. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. It really yeah. depends on your financial situation and your familial situation. Um, so now you own, do you own your own brokerage now or you still work with the one that you signed with in 20? No. Um, so I signed with Gloria Almandara's at Realty by the Sea. It was just she and I for about four years. Uh, right after COVID in 2021, I got my broker's license. So April 2021, I passed the test, got my broker's license. I became broker in charge of her company, which is basically like if she's the com the commander, I'm the EXO. Um, so I was kind of her right-hand man. I brought on new agents. I trained them. Um, and then I was realizing by the summertime, why am I working for somebody else? Um, I'm splitting my commission. I don't need to be. Like I can... I can do this myself. Um, I, it got to the point where, I mean, she was fantastic, but I got to the point where I outpaced her in sales. And then as far as knowledge, I, she was asking me stuff and I was like, you know, I don't need to do this anymore. So I looked into how difficult or easy it was, if you will, to start my own brokerage. So I looked into it and I licensed, I put my license behind an LLC um, and I licensed Seaside Realty and started Seaside Realty in August, 2021. So I own my own brokerage. I'm not a team. I'm not under, you know, I'm not Seaside team powered by EXP or anything like that. I am the principal broker and owner of Seaside Realty here in Hawaii. And I have six agents and a property management division. So. That is so cool. Um, are all of your agents female or do you have a mix? No, I have one male. <laughs> it's funny. It is really funny going from a male-dominated universe like the army and going into something female dominated it's really cool mm -hmm. it's very different um you know women operate differently and i loved having female soldiers because and this is not across the board but for the most part if a guy sees a trash can that's full they'll go by and be like i can balance that on top and yeah. they'll walk off but a female will be like look at this and they'll put their thing on top and they'll take out the trash and put a new bag in the can yeah. And that's just like a metaphor for how I found most of my female soldiers to be. And some males were fantastic. I had great males in my orderly room and great males that I worked with throughout time um, and some dirty females. So it goes both ways. But yeah. overall, I felt like females will always go above and beyond and they care about the person. You know, the females in my orderly room would bring me 
excuse me, would bring me food and would take care of me. And it was like, you know, I think guys just don't think about that type of stuff. So Mm -hmm. working in a female dominated industry is really fun. Um, I have one male who's also an engineer. So he does my plans and permitting. Uh, He can advise people on what can be built on a lot and what can't. So he's a fantastic resource. Um, I have one that used to be a broker in Texas and owned her own brokerage in Texas. Realized after her warrant officer husband retired that they didn't really like Texas. So they came back and she's like, hey, I don't want to own my brokerage anymore. So she's my broker salesperson. Phenomenal. So glad to have her. I have two. Let's see. Jessica is just a civilian, not never been affiliated with the military, but she's phenomenal. She's super sweet. Lived in Hawaii, I think, most of her life. Then I have two or three who are, well, uh, the one who used to be a broker is a military spouse and prior military. And then I have two more who are three. Oh, wait. I have one female retiree. She was a warrant officer uh, in the Army. And then I have two who are military spouses currently, like their husbands are active duty. One's Army and one's Air Force, I think. But yeah, so we have a pretty eclectic team as far as services and components and spouses. Uh, I used to have another male, but he ended up going to another brokerage because he was doing a lot of transaction management and kind of he was my broker in charge, my right hand man. But I was it didn't make fiscal sense to keep him on because the market slowed and I didn't need um, his assistance anymore. So he he, uh, just let him go last month. Well, at least he found a new place to work, too. So that works. Yeah, and he's phenomenal. He'll land on his feet. He was in New York and Chicago, and he's he's he'll be fine. That's awesome. So, what's it like working in a female dominant industry now? That's what I was going to ask. Is that the appearance is that real estate is primarily female? Um, What's like the dynamic like? And I'm curious. You know, you put a ton of women working together, and there's stereotypically going to be like drama or cattiness or something do you experience that or have you experienced it no no um the agents so i'm in a unique market i know everybody watches selling sunset and all these silly shows and (laughs) actually there's only two and i'm not allowed to say who but there are only two um brokers on island that i don't care for one happens to be female and one is male um Mm -hmm. but overall we all get along because it's such a small market if you do people wrong they will not work with you and you will fail. You will have to stop doing what you're doing and find something else to do. So I think that everybody realizes that and we all work together for the good of our clients. Um, Cause if you're a horrible person, you know, they, they always say the battle versus the war. If we're in, if you and I are on the opposite sides of a transaction and you're the, say you're the buyer's agent and I'm the listing agent and you're nickel and diming my client for something, I might capitulate and give you that to make the transaction close. But I'm gonna remember, when it comes down to the end, Kristen, yeah, she's going to fight for her client, but she's going to be petty. And that's probably not the best case scenario for my client. So when if you bring another offer later on, I will remember what you did in the last transaction or two. And if, you know, Dustin's an agent I love working with here on Island. Um, she's with another company, but she's fantastic, very fair. If Dustin brings an offer and you bring an offer and they're equal, I'm going to take Dustin's client's offer. So like you won that one battle, but you will lose the overall war because other agents know they can't trust you. And it's a fine line because you have to you have to fight for your client, but you can't fight. And to the extent that you alienate the people that you're going to be on the other side of the transaction from at some point, it has to be a win win. You have to be fair. Mm -hmm. And you're I would imagine that uh, Oahu is not a big island at all. And although you would. You would think that, like, 
there's it's a pretty populated area but um even like where i live in maryland it's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people here but somehow it's still a small town and word spreads quick and if you are a shady business owner people know about it instantly and especially with like social media and stuff it just takes one bad review or one complaint posted online to completely ruin your reputation yeah yeah and that's the way it is here so there are there's about 950,000 people that live on Oahu a great deal of them are military Um, there are like 12,000 agents on island but the top like 500 do 95 percent of the business and mm-hmm. we all know who each other are. So shameless plug for myself. I am in the top one to 2%, depending on the year. Um, and so I am going That's to awesome. work with these same agents over and over again. And if nobody wants to work with me, I am really doing a disservice to my clients. So there, that's why, you know, I like to keep good relations with people anyway, but that's just an extra incentive not to be a dick. <laughs> so yeah. overall, no, the cattiness, it's not really a thing. I mean, you know, sometimes you're going to like some people more than others, and that is natural. But most of us just really work together and care about each other and work together for the, the better, you know, better experience of the client. And, yeah, you know, if you're going to be here, you might as well make it pleasant. So. What do you say to people that, or I guess, do you agree with the statement that real estate is an oversaturated market to be in as a job? No, I, that's, a, that. gosh, you ask good questions. So I'm in a <laughs> really you. tiny market. On North Shore. Yeah, no, it's really good because that's the, I didn't even think you would ask something like that. So I'm in an area uh, on Oahu called the North Shore. So mm-hmm. I live in Wailua near Mokolaia. It's down towards the kind of the tip of the island. The island goes like this, um, it, like this end. Uh, and then on the northwest side. And then Haleiwa is kind of central north. And then you start to go up to Kahuku and around the island. So when I got my license, I was very nervous because there are some big names up here. Not big names you would recognize, but big names for our region. So yeah. like Sturman Realty big realty company. Um, we have team real estate. We have Mariana Brigo, who is a saint and I love her. She actually helped me before I was even an agent. She's just really an amazing person. Um, but I was nervous. Oh, and the Moody's, oh my gosh, they work for a large company. I think they're like better homes and gardens now, but they are big names up here. And so you, I was really nervous. Like if I'm coming in here, I can't come in here like a bull in a China shop, which is how I approach most situations. Like you have to be very delicate. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I came in and I'm like, hey, I'm Erica. Um, you know, I'm. They knew me as the army girl, but now, now I'm like, I'm gonna try swim in your pool. I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, and so I started to bring buyers, and they like it when you bring a buyer. And then I started to represent sellers. Well, all of a sudden one day I had. A, I hope. Do you mind the little stories? Is that okay. No, go for it. <laughs> okay. So uh, one day I had a client. Oh, my dog is being naughty. Stop that. She's smelling my rucksack. I'm, I'm not in, in anymore, but I have like an event this weekend and she's smelling it. She's like, this smells so interesting. Uh, she's a chewer. So I got to watch her Ooh. go lay down. You I have a great Dane. So she's looking at me over the gate. Like, Aww. pardon me. Quit looking at me, dog. She's a pretty baby, but she's, she's very naughty. She's only two. Um, okay. What was I talking about? Story. <laughs> oh, um, you were bringing people buyers. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. I had a client. Yes. So I had a, this was, I was, this was a buyer's, uh, issue. So I used to paddle canoe competitively. So the ocean canoes where you have six people in there, you're Mm -hmm. like that. I used to do that. And uh, this was a couple years ago. So I had a client. Well, she wasn't even my client yet. We paddled canoe together. She said, Hey, Erica, you sold Nancy her house, which we paddled together as well. I sold every, so your sphere is really important. If you're a realtor listening to this, I sold everyone in my sphere a house. 
So make sure people in your sphere know what you do for a living because they might use you if they think you're good at it. So uh, my friend Nancy that I paddled with bought a house for me. My friend Eddie that I paddled with bought a house for me. And then Nancy called me and was like, hey, Rebecca wants to see this house. I'm like, okay, I am there. So I go there. I show her the house. We're looking at it. And while we're there, she's like, so see what happened was um, I had this other prominent realtor on the North Shore show me the house before you. And I'm like, crap, because that's that's called procuring cause. So they, they're entitled to the commission if they want to fight me for it. it they are their client, kind of. Like, it's confusing, but they're kind of their client at that point because they showed them that house. So I was like, okay. I said, well, you know, thank you for telling me. But then it put me in a delicate situation because as a junior person on the North Shore, a junior agent, I now have to approach one of the arguably top three, top four agents in my region and say, hey, I'm going to steal your client if that's okay. So um, <laughs> I called them. I was ha This is on Saturday morning. On Sunday, I was doing open house for my broker. Uh, it wasn't my listing, but I was holding open house for her at another North Shore property. And I was like, okay, I have to call this agent. I can't keep not doing it. So I called the other agent. I was like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah. She's like, oh, I'm great. I said, so I have a question. I was like, my client, you know, I was like, not my client. I said, uh, I paddle canoe with this, this girl named Rebecca, lady, woman, whatever. She's, you know, 30s, my age, whatever. Well, I'm 40s now, but I was like, uh, for Rebecca, I showed her the property. She told me you had showed it to her. She wants to make an offer, but, you know, mentioned that maybe you weren't as responsive as she wanted. And she wants a little bit more, you know, hands-on leadership or whatever you want to call it with, uh, like handholding, but that doesn't sound very nice. She wanted a little more, uh, intensive experience she wanted her agent to be there with her and i was like do you mind if i represent her as buyer's agent because i know you have procuring cause you showed her the property and she was like oh no honey she's like go you go ahead just and I, but I, without having that conversation if she had noticed that i was the buyer's agent and had the time to look back at the tax records and realize the person she showed it to had bought it it could have been bad on me and she could have potentially sued for the commission so yeah being scared to do something but knowing you have to do it you just got to do it and it 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 solidified the relationship that i have with the agents on north shore that even if it's hard i'm going to still approach it and do it with you and i'm always going to be respectful but i'm also gonna you know fight for my client so yeah and that goes with anyone in business like at all just be a good person like be a decent human being and it will be okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great um, you know, it, lesson. That some you people make early. that surprisingly hard. Mm. You, yeah, you would be surprised. And like, I'm um, a wedding photographer, and just dealing with other mm. wedding photographers, and it's a, also a woman-dominated industry. Um, there's actually surprisingly yeah. a lot of men in the industry too, but uh, just the amount of like not whatever the opposite of direct and clear communication is, that's what most of them are. And they're like scared to huh. um, just tell you how it is. And um, it's very frustrating, especially coming from a military background. And like, if you don't want to work with me, I'm not offended. Just tell me. I'm going to be offended if, if you don't tell me. Yeah. And then I find out that you hired my friend, you know. Or just um, even another photographer hiring me to assist them or something. Like, if you don't want to hire me, just tell me. My feelings are going to be hurt more or yeah. you're going to lose, um, like, credibility in my book as a good, honest business owner if you go behind my back and don't just communicate directly with me. But a lot of people yeah. um, 
struggle with One that. One thing I find that's kind of unfortunate yeah, I, I lead a lot of education classes. So I partner with Active Duty Passive Income. I'm one of the referral agents. I lead monthly education meetups and I because I love to teach. I freaking love it. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't buy anything, I want to teach you so you can use it at your next duty station or just have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I'll have people, client potential clients who will contact me on Facebook, which I love, and ask me tons of questions about properties and tons of questions about Hawaii and blah, blah. And I'll pour into them and then I'll be like, hey, you know, are you looking at some places or, and they'll be like, Oh, I already have a realtor. And I'm like, okay, what well, you're asking me all these questions. Like, did you ask your realtor? And they're like, Oh, they don't know. I'm like, bruh, if they don't know, why are you working with them? Like you should want to work with the expert. And like, I always have time. I will make time for what is important. And so mm -hmm. I, I like to represent the clients and make sure they're getting into something good. And, you know, just getting an accepted offer is step one. Then you have to negotiate through the entire contract and it, it takes, you know, 30 to 45 days and things happen. Sometimes appraisals come in low. Do they know how to do a revision of value? Do they know that VA is the only one you can do that with? Do they know how to talk to the appraisers? Do they know the appraisers personally? Do they know the other agents? Have they ever handled an assumption? You know, there's so many questions. How good are they with the VA loan? Do they know to ask escrow for the military first responder discount? You know, do they know how much it's going to rent for on the back end, which if you're watching this or listening or whatever, and you're thinking about buying in Hawaii, it does not cash flow. It does not cash flow. If you pay a million dollars for a property and your mortgage is $6,500, current interest rates, about 7%, you will be upside down because you can probably only rent it for about four grand a month. Okay. You'll be way upside down. And this is everybody, every property unless you buy a foreclosure, which is a whole other ball of mess in Hawaii, or you buy multifamily. Those are the only ways to potentially cash flow. And I wish more realtors would tell their clients this. And so I hope that if people only tune in for five seconds, this is what they hear. Because I am so, it saddens me to my core to see military families that are facing having to rent it and lose $1,500 a month or having to sell it and can't cut any profit or have to come out of pocket. It pains me. If that's going to be your situation, I would rather move you into housing because I, as a property manager, they call me. And then when I tell them the bad news, they are just devastated. And they're like, my realtor didn't tell me. And yeah, so it just, it makes me sad. We can't promise future rental value. It's against the contract, but you can give them an idea of what things are currently renting for in the area and let them make their own decision. People aren't that yeah. stupid. They, they'll see it. So mm -hmm. Yeah, just be a good human. It's not it's not that hard. <laughs> um you know, we we say it's not hard, but there there are some people who just it must be just a foreign concept too and it it makes me sad. Absolutely. Do you have any I wish we had more time. I try to keep these episodes at about an hour, but diving into okay. like VA loans a little bit, um do you have any like common <laughs> myths you want to debunk off the top of your head? Oh, yes. Okay, let's hear them. <laughs> Super common myth. You can only use your, you can, you can only, that's like my bread and butter. I love it. You can only use your VA home loan once. Nope. Another common myth. You can only have one VA home loan at a time. Nope. That's not true. Uh, something that people do say that is inaccurate. Another myth is that you can use your VA loan for investment properties. That's half true. Okay. Um, so you can purchase something, live in it as your primary residence and then rent it. Absolutely. Uh, but you cannot buy something knowing that you're never going to live in it with your VA home loan benefit. So there are ways to have more than one VA home loan at a time. There are ways to use, you can use your VA home loan benefit over and over again. 
Uh, funding fee is a whole other thing that, you know, hopefully you ask your realtor about the funding fee because it changes. And if you're disabled, you don't pay it. Very important things. But those are some of the most common. No, that is great. I've heard the um, that a lot of people think you can only use it once ever. I knew that one. I didn't know you could do multiple at once or more than one at once. Um, what about yeah. if you want to buy a home with someone that is not a veteran or not eligible for a VA loan? Does that affect what you get um, as far as like your rate or how does that affect you depending on the relationship with the person that you're per buying with? Okay. So great question. I love the way you phrased it. Um, if you are buying with your spouse, uh, well, I'm married to, a, we're, we were dual military, so we're kind of different, but say I'm married to a civilian. Uh, if we are married and I am the service member or they are the service member, either way, you, your spouse can be on the loan with you and their income can be used and it's regular VA loan. Now, Imagine that I, so I'm currently married to a service member. Say I want to buy a house with my daughter who is not military, never been in the military. We could go in and buy a house together, but we would have to put 12.5% uh, as a down payment. And that was the last time I checked. I think it's still somewhere right around there, but you do have to have a different down payment. Uh, it's not zero. And there are, there are just some different stipulations, but you can absolutely do that. So it, once you're married, it, they kind of just see you as the same person for lack of a better way of putting yeah. it. Cool. That's good. The two to know. shall become one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of any other. I haven't used my VA loan yet, but I did buy an investment property and learned the um, learned that about VA loan. Is there any time you would recommend someone not use their VA loan and go conventional or a different type of loan instead? Yes. Once again, fabulous question. Sorry, I sound like a, a sycophant, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a great question. So when we moved to Hawaii, I had already used my VA home loan once. So I bought the, the foreclosure in North Carolina on my VA certificate. Then we bought a second house in North Carolina. We sold the first one, bought another one on my husband's VA certificate, and we still owned that home when we moved to Hawaii. So at this point, it's my turn to use my VA certificate again. We could have stacked it onto my husband's, but it, the VA the VA has limits if you are doing a second tier entitlement. What it means is since we already had a VA home loan out in North Carolina, it would have put a limit on how much we could have gotten here. So my VA certificate was free and clear, um, which there is no, oh, that's another one. There is no limit on the VA home loan benefit. If you do not already have a VA home loan out, you can borrow up to your level of income and um, credit. So like I live in Hawaii, we previously got approved for a house um, in the in the two millions because of my income and uh, my, for, well, my husband's certificate being free. But the loan limit only comes into play when you already have a loan out. Okay, so we moved to Hawaii in 2014. We were going to use my certificate. The first time you use your VA certificate, there's a funding fee. It's like a charge the VA charges you instead of mortgage insurance of 2.15%. Subsequent use of the VA loan, it is 3.3% of the purchase price. So six times three is like, what, 18? So it was already gonna be about $20,000 uh, just giving it to the VA for the privilege of them loaning me money, even though I had 800 credit score and whatever. So there is a loan called the USDA loan. It is for mm -hmm. rural areas and there are income limitations. In 2014, when we bought our house here, the VA, or sorry, the uh, USDA loan limit was right around 700, 650, something like that. We were pre-approved for 650, and my income with a family of four was just under $90,000, which was, it's always a sliding scale. It depends on how mm -hmm. many dependents you have, 
and how much you make and it, it changes. So right now the limit yeah. is a million eighty nine, I think, for VA and maybe Freddie and Fanny and all those. I'd have to check. But I do a lot of VA, so I know it's a million eighty nine. Um for Hawaii. Not everywhere, Honolulu County. But um so we weighed it out and we were like, okay, we could buy this property with a VA home loan. Uh, actually, we couldn't even buy it with a VA home loan because it was a CPR. So four houses shared one tract of land, which is super common in Hawaii. Uh, it's kind of like a condo, but it was a single family home. Mm -hmm. The first house was house A. That's what we were purchasing. Last house was house D. C and B weren't built yet. So you can't buy using a VA loan if all the houses that in that development, uh, the, you know, the same tax map key aren't completed. It has to be more than 50% sold or there's some kind of rule. Once again, Hawaii is a very special animal, so make sure your realtor understands it. So we actually got a USDA loan. Uh, we did have to pay 1% funding fee. So it was $6,500 and that's, you know, like insurance. And then every month we paid like $111 for uh, uh, mortgage insurance until the loan reached, until we got 80% loan to value. And that happened really fast because 2014 to 17, the value skyrocketed and we had bought a brand new house. So USDA loan was the better product for us at that time. Um, so n make sure that your your lender and your agent understand that VA may not always be the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And they understand how to employ those other loan products because USDA is only for rural areas. And surprisingly, most of this island and all the rest of the islands are considered rural by populated population density. Wow. So, I did, would never have thought that Hawaii yeah. would fall under that. So that's good to know. Yeah. Most of this island, it's it's crazy. Just not Honolulu, Kailua, Ka Kaneohe. Wai yeah. Some of the central and most of the southern and southeast. But Eva Beach, Kapolei, West Side, North Shore, all USDA. Wow. Well, that is very helpful information. Um, I want to ask another question that's like somewhat selfishly based, but I think it would be good for everyone because this is about like service members turned entrepreneurs or business owners. Mm -hmm. um, is it, I think a common, I don't know if it's necessarily a misconception, but a common idea a lot of um, people who are self-employed have is that it's harder to get approved for a home loan if you're self-employed. Is that true? Or do you have any mm -hmm. advice on someone who is self-employed, making sure that they're doing the work um, a few years out to make sure that they get the best approval they can. Yes, that that is actually somewhat accurate. So when you're self-employed, uh, being like you, that means you don't have a W two job. So like I pay myself by 1099. I'm an independent contractor. I'm a business owner. Um, so this is most realtors, most wedding photographers, a lot of military spouses because you're forced into being an independent contractor. Uh, what you have to show is, uh, so say I want to get approved for a loan here in Hawaii. I have to show them my 2022 taxes and my 2021 taxes, my tax return, and then they will average those two. And that's what my income is for that year. So you have to have two years showing you can make it in that industry before they'll give you a loan on it. So if you started your photography business in 2022, you, you have to have two years. Um, so you can't really use that, that income. Now, if you're a photographer and you go work for a company that pays you a salary and your W-2, Yes, you can use it because you're no longer um, you're no longer self-employed. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a real estate agent and you work maybe for a Redfin or somewhere where they pay you W-2, I don't know that they do, but I know they pay a salary. If you work for Redfin or something, you might be able to uh, claim that as your job. If you're a government contractor, that's a little different. You can still claim that as income because you're W-2, even though you're that you fall under contractor. So it's it's a lot. It's very nuanced. Um, your your local lender mm -hmm. is the best resource. 
don't go to Rocket. <laughs> don't go to those. I mean, they're good to find out about where you are, but your local lender is going to know the market in the local area and what's acceptable and what's not. Okay. Um, so for people who leave, like I left the military in September of this year, would a lender look at my income of my military pay up until September and then just a quarter of the year for my self-employed nope. income? Or they really just wouldn't count it until my first full year of being self-employed? Or it's just about the tax return, um, they, which would be You're both. out of the military now? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're out of the military now. That pay has ended. So it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of people there. Oh, I see this over and over again. So this is good. This is good. Um, people who are retiring from the military are always like, oh, I'm going to wait till I retire to buy a house. And then when they're they think when they're on terminal leave, the last three, six months they're in, they're just going to fly back to Idaho or wherever and buy a house using their military pay. You're not. You have to get a statement of service from your commander stating you have 12 months left in service. So if you're within your last 12 months of service, they're not going to give you a loan based on your military income. They can do one based on your retirement. Um, if you already have your disability, you can get it based on disability. Um, for your photography business, it would have to be two years of tax returns. And that is as far as I know. So I've, mm -hmm. I've, they might be able to do something else for you, but I haven't had any lenders that were able to be that creative. But your military pay, once it's done, it's done. And then right. something people ask all the time, when you get out, if you're going to school using the, the post-9-11 Montgomery or post-9-11 GI Bill, you get BAH, right? That does not count towards income when you're looking to purchase a property because it's temporary. So they will not count that. I've not met a lender that will. If, if somebody knows of some that will, then that's great. But I've not met a lender yet who will count that. No, that's good to know. That was going to be my next Disability, retirement. <laughs> yeah, disability and retirement absolutely count, uh, even though disability is not taxed, which is fabulous. Uh, they, they do count, but your BAH for GI Bill does not count. Okay. Thank you for all of that information. It's very helpful. Um, sure. My last yeah, like two I questions. <laughs> I can tell. Um, my last two questions I ask everyone are advice that you would give a female that's thinking about joining the military and then advice that you would give um, a female starting a business. Okay. Um, for females joining the military, I mean, it's it's basically like the same advice I'd give you at any other job. Um, kind of decide how you want people to see you because you're going to build your persona. You're going to you create that person. You know, when we're growing up, we're trying to figure out who we are. And it's constant struggle to develop yourself and develop the person you're going to be. So when you join the military, if you set in your mind that people are not going to take advantage of me and I will be seen as an equal and you claim your spot at the table, you'll have your spot at the table. Don't accept less than what you know you are deserved, but also earn it. Don't just show up and be like, mm -hmm. I'm a girl. I deserve this because I'm a queen. That's great. Love you, sis. I'm all about that. I got some queens, my sisters that are in. I love y'all. You just got to, you got to, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You got to be producing. You know, nobody is, nobody's going to give you extra credit because you're a female. Um, it, it can be, a, it can make it a little harder. And I think if you approach it like, like that, like, you know, it's going to be harder and you put your best foot forward and you're constantly hustling and trying to be the best and, you know, weigh yourself against the males. And yes, in physical aspects as well, train yourself to be strong. You can do it. You can do it. It just takes work. Um, a lot of work, you know, cause we are physically different, but you, you can do it. It just, just work at it. Don't accept less than what you know you're capable of and push past what you think you're capable of. And same thing. If you're, if you want to start a business, Ah, I love books. I don't know if I have this one here right now, but um, okay, I don't know where it is, but there's a book called, am I allowed to pitch a book? It's not my book. It's called The 10X Effect. 
Uh, I think it's Grant Cordone. Uh, he writes a lot of business books and stuff like that. Basically, the basic premise of the book is no matter what you think you're going to do in life, it's going to be 10 times harder than you imagine it's going to be. And if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard as everybody else, or you're not going to be at the top. You're not going to be in the top. You just won't. Mm -hmm. You want to ride first class? You want to have that business? You want to be the go-to? 10 times. There are no shortcuts. That's it. And you can do it. Yeah. Mic drop. Jeez, that was good. I, know, I do love okay, that book. Where... I probably lent it. I probably lent it to somebody. Yeah, just yeah. Um, send me the name of the book or like a link and I'll I'll put it in the uh, show notes too so that people can just click on the link and find it. Cool. Yeah, another okay. great one is um, the Marky and Sitch, who actually uh, one of the owners and founders of ADPI has a book called Military House Hacking. That's got a lot of great strategies in it as well. So I'll drop both of those to you because those are two of my favorite books. Uh, 10X Effect is more towards being in the military and starting a business. Uh, the, the house hacking book by ADPI is more how to get started if you want to be a real estate investor. And I love ADPI. I just got back from the conference, so I'm fired up right now and I want to buy an apartment building. Okay, well, that's some big goals. But I started in single family, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I started that's in awesome. single family. And right now I live in like basically a triplex. Like you can do it. Um, where can everyone find you, your business, website, social media, all the things? Cool. Yeah, so um, I can definitely drop you all of those links. Um, but my... I am seaside808.com. Um, so seaside, like being at the seaside, 808.com is my website. Uh, my contacts are in there. I also have a YouTube channel. It's a litany of a, a billion things, okay? Some of it's like self-help stuff. Some of it's explaining real estate. And I actually did stand-up comedy, so that's on there. Oh. Uh, and if you Google my name, I'm one of the only Erica Limkels in the country, so I'm easy to find. Please no hate mail. I don't appreciate that, and I will bust you out. Um, but yeah, um, if you need advice or just want questions on how to become a realtor or how to, you know, buy a house or how to whatever, be in the military and, you know, you need a, a previous female senior enlisted to tell you freaking do it. Hey, hit me up. Just remember, we're six hours behind in Hawaii. Awesome. <laughs> so don't call me at 3 a.m. <laughs> Please. You will not answer. No, no. My phone goes on. Do not disturb. But I do. Yep. I do love Same. to help. So please don't don't ever be scared to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was, there was way more information than I can digest in one session. So hopefully people <laughs> listen to this again. Um, but thank you again. And maybe we'll have you on again. I would love that. <laughs> okay. Take care, Erica. <laughs>